there's a, an old communication theory. When uh, predictability is high, impact is lower. When predictability is less, impact is usually higher. So when I start talking back here instead of on the stage, like a goofball, everyone's paying closer attention. And the same, I got to watch out for these babies, by the way. I was not anticipating the babies in the rest. The same is true in our lives, right? Like the more predictable our lives, the, the more normal they are, the less questions that are asked about our lives, the lower the impact usually. But the less predictable they are, the less normal they are, the more questions that are asked about them, the more curious they are, the more intriguing they are, impact is usually higher. Will you turn in your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 4 this morning? We're going to be reading verses 2 through 6. This is Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Paul says this, he says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. For you, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we begin our new series, Shock the World. As Christians, we are called to uh, live lives and live out values that raise questions, that make people wonder what's going on. We're called to live lives that shock the world. And this is what we see subliminally here in Colossians chapter 4. You see, Paul is writing in Colossians 4 to the church in Colossae, and, and in chapter 4 he's giving his final instructions to this church community. And in giving his final instructions, he asks for prayer for himself. He asks that, that uh, they would pray for him to boldly proclaim the gospel, that he would have boldness and clarity in seizing those opportunities. Now, contrary to what some people think, Paul insists here that, that there are a specific set of people, a particular set of people that have the gift of boldly proclaiming the gospel. He says there are a particular set, and he admits to, to everyone that he is one of those people. Now notice, he could have gone on to say in verses 5 and verses 6, to, he could have gone on to say, and pray for those things for, all, for everyone else. Pray, pray that you would be able to boldly proclaim the gospel, that you would have clarity, that you would have boldness in seizing those opportunities, but he doesn't. Instead, to everyone else, if I can put it that way, he says, pray that, that, you would have, uh, that you would have conversations of grace, that you would be wise in your interactions with outsiders. And then this is the big one. He says, be ready to answer everyone. It's a similar instruction that we see in the letter of 1 Peter, chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, we'll, we'll have it on the screen, I believe. It says, uh, maybe it doesn't say, I'll read it uh, on my notes here. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have. The author of 1 Peter is talking about the hope that you have in Jesus. Always be ready to answer everyone who has a question about it. You see, in both passages, the message is pretty clear. 
for the particular set, for the specific set of people with, with the gift, with the passion, with the calling of bold proclamation evangelism. And there are some, probably here in this room this morning, with that gift, pray for those people. Pray that they would have boldness, that they would have clarity in seizing those opportunities. But for everyone else, if I can put it that way, everyone who doesn't have that gift, that set, one of the primary ways that we share about Jesus, one of our primary evangelistic responsibilities is this. Be ready to answer questions about Jesus. Which implies what? Well, it implies that we are in some way living lives worth questioning. Like, if, if Scripture is clear in its instruction to be ready to answer questions about Jesus, it doesn't take a mathematician to arrive at the conclusion that we as Christians are called to live questionable lives. Lives that are intriguing. Lives that make people wonder, what is going on with that person? Lives that make people question. Lives that shock the world with the generous love of Jesus. The letter of 1 Peter, that passage that I read, that second passage that I read, comes from the, the book of 1 Peter. It's a letter written to a collection, really, of church communities. And these church communities, they had, at one point, they had participated in their, in their social, social, cultural kind of context. They had been participants in that. But after their conversion to Christ, they experienced this intense, intense like marginalization and abuse and persecution. And so the letter is written to those churches in those communities. And the, the, the message of the entire letter, really, it's pretty clear. It goes something like this. God's people are a misunderstood minority living under the rule of a different king. Persecution and marginalization offer the church a chance to showcase the generous love of Jesus. Now, we don't live in uh, the church in the area where these churches were being addressed. We live like 2,000 years later in like West Michigan, right? But as the church here in West Michigan or even in the U.S. at large, uh, we don't have persecution, right? Outside from like a few like verbal remarks maybe that hurt our feelings. We don't have persecution. But our context and, and our setting, similar to the churches that the, the letter of 1 Peter is being addressed to, presents all kinds of different opportunities for us to provide an alternative, to showcase what the generous love of Jesus looks like in the backdrop of where we live, where we work, and where we play. Here's what I mean. We operate, we live in a culture and in a context of overconsumption. We live in a culture and a context of hurry, of sexual liberation, and, and cultural values that are constantly begging us to like join in, to be a part of the party, right? To be normal. The only issue is that normal isn't working. Like normal isn't working. It's expensive to be normal. Like personal consumer debt has just gone up and up. It's grown at abnormally high rates. In 2019 alone, it grew $800 billion. The normal way of spending money for most has become a source of fear and anxiety, a deep pit of worry and fighting. It's expensive to be normal. And normal sexuality, it requires little and it provides even less. It's the source of unprecedented rates of porn addiction and sexual abuse. Over the last decade, the rate of rape and sexual abuse has increased nearly 3% each year and it shows no sign 
of decreasing. And normal, it's, it's tiring. It's exhausting. Most people report having all kinds of stress, feeling like their life is full of constant, in a constant state of hurry. They're overwhelmed with their schedule. They're constantly playing catch up because normal is exhausting. You see, my friends, normal isn't working. Normal leads to destruction. And you're like, dang, this is sad. I have good news for you this morning. There is an alternative to normal, Jesus. And unlike normal, which leads to destruction, Jesus leads to life. You see, if you've been around the church for a long time, maybe you're here for the first time this morning. Let me assure you, Jesus is many things. Normal is not one of them. You see, normal says to hate your enemies. Jesus says to love them. Oh, sorry. Normal says to swing back. Jesus says to turn the other cheek. To find your life, he says to lose it. You see, the life and the teachings of Jesus are weird. They are questionable. They are shocking. And the life of his followers, that's us, is meant to be the same. One of our primary evangelistic missions is this to live questionable lives that shock the world. And when questioned, to provide others with the hope and the life and the freedom of Jesus that we have been granted and to pass that along to others. Doesn't take a fancy handout, doesn't take a scripted sermon. It's just what Jesus has done in our lives. When asked, we share about it, right? I, uh, I cut hair. And uh, I don't have my barber's license. But believe me when I tell you, I cut hair. Okay, ask Torn. Torn, do I cut hair? He cuts hair. He cuts hair. Okay. So I, uh, I learned how to cut hair in college, okay? And uh, by the end of my senior year, I had, a, I had a, an appointment sheet hanging on my door. It was laminated so I could erase it each week. And I had my, uh, my time slots that were available, right? I was, making, I was charging $5 a cut, heck of a deal. And I was making like $100 a week some weeks, okay? I'm not lying. I was busy. Like, it was like a part-time job by the end of it, okay? Now, Torn and I, when we met, actually, Torn cuts hair as well. He's good at it. And we actually started just cutting each other's hair because we're both obsessed with getting the haircuts. See, when you learn how to cut hair, you become obsessed with getting a haircut. Like, if I go more than two weeks without a haircut, I feel like I look like a caveman, okay? Like, like I tell people, like, my, the hair is, like, pulling on my head, and I feel like I'm getting a tension headache. Like, I need to get my haircut. Now, during COVID, like we were quarantine, we were stuck, right? So we couldn't cut each other's hair, Torn and I. So I started learning how to, I, I had already kind of learned how to cut my own hair, but I really tried to like perfect it. You know, you need another mirror, you need use of your left hand, but with practice, like you can get pretty good at it. And so I was already obsessed with getting my hair cut, but it got like even worse because I started just cutting my hair like every week, okay? Because what else was I going to do? Like I was sitting during quarantine, like, well, you know what I should do? I should cut my hair, okay? So, so anytime, like before COVID, now after COVID, whatever, when I get a haircut, one of, the, my, one of the things I look forward to afterwards, like I get my cut, right? I'm feeling so fresh. I'm feeling so clean. And, uh, and I want to show my wife, Olivia. And uh, so I'm almost always home. She's almost always like somewhere else at work or whatever when I get my haircut. So I'm waiting for her to come home and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to show her my cut. I look so fresh, so clean. And uh, she gets home. And I'm sitting there, I'm like posted up on the couch, you know, or whatever, like looking out the window, TV's on, I'm not watching, I'm just, you know. And, uh, and she, she gets home and uh, I'm waiting on her to say something and she doesn't say anything. 
I'm like, all right, okay, I guess I need to just get a little bit closer. So I get up, you know, I like walk closer to her, you know, maybe turn the side, you know, let her see this fresh cut, let her see this, this clean cut, and uh, still, nothing. <laughs> and so then I usually have to be like, <laughs> um, <laughs> babe, notice anything different? And at that point, she's almost always like, oh, wow. If, if I say, notice, you notice, if the words, did you notice, come out of my mouth, it's almost always the response, oh, wow, you cut your hair. Wow, it looks so good. I, I just didn't notice it because you cut it so recently. There's, there wasn't a huge difference. <laughs> and you guys are laughing, but really, my wife thinks I'm hideous, okay? And she doesn't notice any difference. It's a sad thing. Now, for many of us, I think that the difference between our lives as Christians and everyone else's is like my haircut after one week. Like you can hardly tell the difference. Like if, if we're trying to live questionable lives that shock the world with the generous love of Jesus, saying hi to our neighbor while cutting the lawn, giving financially once a year around Christmas, and going to church on Sundays, that's hardly an intriguing lifestyle. Like, no one really has any reason to ask any questions. Like, no one is going to ask about the hope that is in us. No one is going to ask about who we are and how we live and what we do if we live just like all the other urban or suburban middle-class people in West Michigan. Like, if we spend money the same way that they spend money, if we desire after the same things and chase after the same things that they desire, if we have the same views on everything that they have, if our life looks just like their does, if we live exactly like they do, what is there to ask us about? I mean, if one of the primary ways that we share about Jesus is by telling others about Jesus when they ask, shouldn't it concern us if our life is hardly distinguishable from the outside world and questions seem unnecessary? I know it concerns me because disciples of Jesus should spend money differently. They should spend time differently. They should believe differently. Their lives should look different. They should raise questions. They should shock the world. And if you're like, dang, Austin, like you seem really angry at me right now. You are attacking me right now. Trust me, friend, I am not attacking you. I am not angry with you. I am not frustrated with you. I'm frustrated with me. I'm frustrated with me because as I'm preparing this week, as I'm thinking about this, long before this week, I've constantly had this feeling like, like it's not like I'm not doing enough. It's not that God doesn't love me. It's not that I'm doing enough for like to be, to be called a Christian or something like that. It's that I feel like at times I'm just not experiencing the full life that God has for me because I'm too busy holding on too tight or I'm too lazy to grab a hold of the wheel and say, Jesus, like I'm all in. I'm living my life intentionally for you. I want your, my life to be fully what you intend, not what I intend. I want my life to be distinguishable. I want people to look at my life and ask questions. I want to shock the world with your generous love. I'm frustrated with me. Because disciples of Jesus, they should spend money differently, time differently. Everything should be different. They should raise questions. They should shock the world. And I know I'm not, at least I hope I'm not alone in that frustration. I think many of us are aware of the fact that our lives are meant to have this effect. 
that our lives are meant to draw attention, that they're meant to draw questions, they're meant to shock the world with the generous love of Jesus, but we just don't know what to do, right? Like we don't know what to say, the task feels too big, so we get kind of this paralysis of analysis thing, we kind of just compartmentalize our life a little bit, we toss that thing that we know to the side, and then we just kind of live our lives. And the result is this, disastrously wonderful, normal lives. It's not a bad choice. It's really not. It's the one that I've chosen most of the time. It's just not the full direction. It's just not the full intention that Jesus has for our lives. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at just a few tangible things that we can be doing that help us live our life on mission with Jesus, that help us live our daily lives with Jesus, that help, other, that help us draw attention and raise questions and shock the world with the generous love of Jesus. And we're gonna start small. It's gonna feel like these tiny little things, I promise you, but that's where we gotta start because this stuff is hard. It is hard. It's hard for me. Look, no one is surprised when I tell them I'm a pastor, okay? Like I like fancy shoes. I like talking. I have a job at a church. Like, no one cares, okay? Like, my life is hardly distinguishable. I ha- I'm married with no kids and no dogs. That's like the only thing that people have questions about. No dog, right? Like, I like cool coffee shops. I like going thrift shopping. Like, I try to be like a genuinely nice person unless you make me angry, right? It's hardly distinguishable. No one has any questions about my life a lot of the time. But if I show hospitality and I listen to someone and really listen like Jesus would listen in a city and a culture where no one listens and everyone's just waiting to talk, that's shocking. I mentioned my wife, Olivia. She's a PA. She sees like 15, 20 patients a week, right? Or sorry, a day. You're like, a week? That's an easy job. Uh, uh, she sees like 15, 20 patients a day, right? She's like trying to fly through them, fly through them. Uh, but some, she's an incredible listener. If you know her, she's just an incredible listener. And uh, sometimes she just sees a patient that she feels like needs to be listened to. And she had that this week. She's, you know, trying to see patients, trying to see patients. One of the patients she just sends needs to be listened to, right? And so she spends time listening to that person. And her, her schedule runs behind. She gets behind on the day or whatever. But at the, end of the, at the end of the appointment, the patient, she spent time talking, talking, talking. And she looks at my wife, Olivia, and she says, you listen well. Like if we listen to people in a city, in a culture where no one listens, it's shocking. If we spend our money and our time and our efforts on others in a city and a culture focused on the self, that's shocking. If we take time in our week and in our day to unplug, to turn off the computer and the tablet and the phone and the watch and the TV and all the other things that can keep us distracted in a city and a culture so digitally distracted that the presence of God could smack them in the face and they wouldn't know it, that's shocking. You see, our context, our culture presents all kinds of opportunity to showcase the generous love of Jesus, to show what it looks like to follow Jesus. It raises questions, it sparks people's interest, and it shocks the world. But I cannot do this alone, and none of you can. 
If you're like getting pumped like me, you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna go do this for like 10 seconds, so like one day or two days or whatever, and you think about it, you probably get like me, and you're like, oh man, but then I'm gonna get like tired. I'm gonna feel like I'm alone, like on an island, and I can't do it, and I start to feel paralyzed. And I think we all do. You know, I've spent so much time, like this week and weeks before, like feeling like, ah, I want, I know like God has this life for me, but I just feel like I can't do it. And part of it is because I can't do it alone and none of us can. That's why I'm so excited for these next five weeks as we're kind of going through this stuff. We get to do this together. See, when I think about doing this alone, I feel paralyzed. But when I think about doing it together with my church, with a community of people that I do life with, that are committing to this together, that are going to hold each other accountable, that are going to say, hey, like this is what we're chasing after, man, I feel energized. So in 1 Peter 3, uh, verse 9, uh, the, the author says, it's just before the verse uh, that we are in this morning in verse 15. In verse 9, he says, the author, uh, to bless others. And so that's where we're going to start this morning. That's where we're going to kind of start our journey over the next five weeks. We're going to start with bless. Now, blessing or bless, it can have all kinds of different meanings, right? For our purposes, we're going to define bless or blessing as anything that relieves others' burden in life. Anything that helps them breathe, anything that helps them just alleviate their distress that they have in life, this is what Jesus does for us and so we can do it for others. Now, blessing can be something large. It can be something small. It can take all kinds of different forms. But usually, it takes three different kinds of forms. And uh, three forms according to uh, Michael Frost. It's this guy that wrote this book called Surprise the World. And we're kind of taking a lot of stuff from that, okay? That's why we changed the name to Shock the World. But we're taking a lot of stuff from Surprise the World. Now, Michael Frost, and I want you to listen to these three forms of blessing because there's going to be some homework, okay? So I want you to listen to these three forms. This is what blessing can look like. Ready? These are the, this is the first form. It's words of affirmation. Send a note, write an email, text someone. The point here is to let, them, let someone know how valuable they are to you, something that you've noticed in them. Encouragement and appreciation is like oxygen to the soul. And with words of affirmation, we bless others. We relieve the burden of life. That's the first form of blessing. The second form of blessing is acts of kindness. With acts of kindness, we offer some sort of practical support. Cut the lawn, babysit for a friend, help a neighbor, move uh, or move uh, with a project, whatever it is. Lighten the load of someone's life. Bless them with an act of kindness. That's the second form. <laughs> Sorry, second form. I need some water. The third form is gifts. Gifts are just this incredible uh, way that we show the recipient just how many dollars worth they are to us. I'm kidding. That's Michael Scott, not Michael Frost, uh, any of you Office fans. That's not gifts, okay? In all seriousness, gifts, <laughs> some of you were like, oh my gosh, I'm leaving this church and never coming back. In all seriousness, gifts, they show someone that they are known, that they're valued, that they're loved. Some are expensive but some are free. Some are for obvious reasons, others are just because, but all of them alleviate stress, thank you, Christian, and they bless others. All right, so we have words of affirmation, we have acts of kindness, we have gifts. These are all three forms of blessing. Now, when we bless others, when we do one or multiple of these things, when we bless others, our focus moves from ourselves to others. 
When we bless, we become generous people. And when we focus on others, when we become generous people in a city, in a culture focused on the self, that's shocking. That shocks the world with the generous love of Jesus. So I said there was homework. Here's the homework. Okay? Here's the homework. We each, all of us, if, if, you, if you so commit to doing, doing this, we're going to bless three people this week. Everyone hold up a three. We're going to bless three people this week. Now you can do one of, or you can do one of each of these forms. Can we have those forms back up? Because uh, I, I, I want everyone to see those for a while. Um, we, you can do one of each of these things. You can do uh, all three the same. You can do two and one. You can do whatever you want. The goal here is that we're going to bless three people. And this is the catch. One of them can't be a part of TLC. One of them. Two, two of them can, but one of them can't be a part of TLC. That's the homework. We're going to bless three people. Two can be at TLC, one cannot. So here's what I want to do. I actually want to give us a little bit of time to respond to this. I want, I want to know, I, I want to give people a chance to say, yeah, like I'm chasing after this. I'm doing this. I'm going to bless three people this week. When we bless, we focus on others. When we bless, we become generous people. When we focus on others, when we become generous people, we shock the world. I want people who say, yes, I'm ready to like shock the world with the generous love of Jesus. So what I'm going to ask you to do this morning right now is I want everyone to just close their eyes for like five seconds. Just close your eyes. Keep your eyes closed. And if you, if you, let me just say this, there is no pressure here. If you're like, this is my first time here, man. Like, I don't know what's going on, or I'm still checking out this Jesus thing. I don't know if I want all this or whatever. There is no pressure here to say yes to this. That's why we have our eyes closed. Okay. But I want us to keep our eyes closed. And if you're saying yes to this, if you're like, yes, I want to bless three people this week, one of whom does not go to TLC. I want you to just put your hand out and give a thumbs up. Keep your eyes closed. Put your hand out and give a thumbs up. Mm, That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, you can put your hand down. Uh, Everyone put your hand down. You can open your eyes again. I just think there's something powerful in responding and saying, yes, like I'm chasing after this. I'm gonna bless three people this week, one of whom doesn't go to TLC. You guys pumped? Oh, baby, I'm pumped, all right? Now, before we close, before we close, before we move into uh, one more song of worship, I wanna just give us two disclaimers, okay? Two disclaimers for this week and two disclaimers for really the whole series, all right? The first is this. Be ready to answer questions. Like that's the whole point of this, is to answer questions. So don't be surprised when you're blessing others or when you're doing some of the other things that we're gonna be doing over the next five weeks, when someone asks like, hey, why are you doing this? Be ready to answer questions. Be ready to say what Jesus has done in your life, how he's given you hope and life and freedom, how he's changed everything and how you wanna just pass that along to them. You don't need a fancy handout. You don't need a scripted sermon. You just need to tell them what Jesus has done in your life and you'd be shocked where it'll go from there. So be ready, just like Paul says in Colossians, just like the author of 1 Peter says, be ready to answer questions. That's the first disclaimer this morning. The second disclaimer is this. I'm aware that there are some of us in the room this morning that are feeling a little hesitant about this. They're feeling like, uh, this feels like some weird form of recruitment to like our brand of religion. I'm not sure if I'm down with this. Let me assure you, friend, this is not some recruitment to our brand of religion. The mission of Christ has nothing to do with recruiting people to a brand of religion. The mission of Jesus has everything to do with alerting people to the universal reign of God through Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. 
When we shock the world, when we live questionable lives, when we become generous people and we shock the world with the generous love of Jesus, we alert people to a different way of living. We alert people to an alternative to normal. We reveal a life that is full of hope and freedom and we help others experience that. We literally open heaven and we say, this is what life can be like. We're not recruiting people to a brand of religion. We're introducing them to a person. You see, friends, Jesus is a person, not a project. Jesus is a person, not a project. And when we become generous people, when we do the things that we're committing to doing, when we shock the world with the generous love of, of Jesus, we help others experience Jesus. Not a per, uh, Jesus the person, not a brand, not a project. We help them experience the person of Jesus who changes everything, who shocks the world. And the craziest thing, this is the craziest thing he asks us, he wants us, to do the same. He asks us to join him. So friends, let's join him. Let's join Jesus in shocking the world. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the ways that you have blessed us in, in so many tiny little ways. Our lives are just full of gifts. They're full of privileges. And it can be so easy to just kind of go cruise on autopilot and just kind of live life the normal way, live life the way that everyone else is kind of telling us to live. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. But God, I just pray that this morning, that over this series, God, that there would just be a church full of people that take their hands and they put them on the steering wheel and they say, no, 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 I'm not doing normal anymore. Jesus, you are not normal, your life is not normal, and your disciples should not be normal. So, Holy Spirit, we're asking that you would help us not be normal. Help us live lives that draw attention. Help us lives that raise questions. Help us live lives that shock the world with the generous love of Jesus. It's in his name that we gather this morning. It's in his name that we pray. To you be the hope and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.